0: Well good morning everybody so um, if you haven't been here for a while and you haven 't seen what we 've been building here <clears throat> this is a reminder that our life is under construction. We start somewhere with Jesus we start somewhere and then we continue on on a journey we grow and uh, and so we've uh, we've looked at a series of qualities um, that, uh, that Peter talked about. A series of qualities that will allow us to be productive in Christ. And uh, together they build up a structure called the Christian life. We started with faith as our foundation. We went on to the walls of goodness. From goodness we went to knowledge Knowledge and Um, wisdom—that's built up one of the sides here. And right at the moment, we're in the middle of—I just love banging in nails. You can see how good I am at it. (laughs) Ah, done. Um, (laughs) So we're building the wall of self-control. Self-control. So Cam came and spoke to us about self-control. From the perspective of the old man and the new man, the flesh, the flesh and the new creation that we are, and that we find self control in the new creation, in what God has done within us. Um, uh, Chris came last week and he talked about the difference between self control, as in, you know, let's try harder, we can do this or what in fact God has done for us, placed his grace in our life, the grace of self-control. And so today we're actually going to look at self-control under pressure because we can all be controlled and and doing really well when life is going well, is that right? But when life gets difficult, when we are under temptation and testing, self-control can be hard to find. So where do we find self-control when we are under pressure? I suppose for me, I have a story about self-control that I have probably shared before. Um, And I I guess this is just a bit of a caution, really, about when we start to think that we can do this Christian life ourselves. So um, when my boys were young, so my oldest boy is now 29, so we're going back 20 or so years, Um, I found that I would lose my temper over almost nothing. I'd be going along well, explaining something, and something would push my buttons, and I would just lose it. I would just lose it. I would be anything but controlled. And I would say things, you know, I would yell and say things that honestly in that moment I really didn't mean, but it was like I wasn't uh, myself. And so I prayed about that. I realized that it was a problem, I went to my um, small group and I asked them to pray for me. I didn't find they were particularly helpful, actually. They said, oh, look, every parent yells sometimes, you know. And I think, well, yeah, but I reckon this is a problem. Um, I went to a Christian counsellor who gave me strategies. But, you know, the same thing happened with the strategies that it was okay when I was feeling all right, but then something would happen, those strategies would just go out the window. And then I was talking with my mum one day, and I realised, you know, because she'd been a bit of a yeller in, in my life, I just thought of it as a bit normal, really, you know. <laughs> and then she started to tell me about her parents. She had angry parents. She even had a very angry grandmother. She called her grandmother a real tartar. <laughs> and I thought, that's a spirit of anger a generational spirit of anger. And so that's when I saw prayer ministry. And in fact, the difference after that ministry was amazing. So I would still feel really tempted to get really angry and yell, but it was like I had a choice. I didn't lose my temper. I had a choice. And so I was able to actively choose, most of the time, to stay calm. And so... When we're talking about this whole issue of self control, I just want to mention to you that there are spiritual things that go on in our lives. And if you have something that is a compulsion, that probably needs to be addressed by someone who knows about prayer ministry. Um, just if you've got something in your life that you can't get under control, don't be ashamed. Go and talk to your house church leader or one of the pastors or one of the elders. And we'll point you um, in the right direction and, and bring gr- the grace of God in. So we're going to have a look at Jesus, actually, and how he coped under pressure. Uh, turn this on. Okay. There we go. But let's just remember where we've come from. So Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says this, Make every effort... To add to your faith, convic- uh, which is like conviction, we talked about it being conviction, uh, goodness, which we talked about being integrity, and to goodness, knowledge, which we talked about wisdom, and to knowledge, self control. Remember, self control is not trying harder, but receiving grace. And to self control, perseverance, and to per- perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection and to mutual affection and love. So you can see why we're building something. This is a lot of different qualities, yes? We don't start out with God, with everything full-blown and fully formed, but um, we are under construction and it grows. Peter says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So... Paul actually has a list, in some ways a bit similar, a few things are similar, like self-control. So Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. For those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature Now, that's interesting. When Cam talked about the old man and the new man, the old uh, flesh and the new creation, Paul here is saying we put to death the old man. We actually make a decision in our heads and our hearts to put to death those things that are not of God. Instead, we live by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. So both Peter and Paul teach us that those godly values and behaviours are at the heart of following Jesus in keeping step with the Spirit of God. As I've been thinking about self-control, found it interesting that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. By definition, self-control is actually something that we do. We do it. And yet Paul says it is a fruit of the Spirit. It is produced in us. So how does that happen? That's what we're going to look at today. How do we receive grace? How do we uh, see that fruit of self-control produced in our life? You know, Jesus um, was a man like us, a human person like us. And he had weaknesses because he was a man. If we read what Hebrews says, we, we get a really good um, clue of what, what we can do in that moment of pressure. So Hebrews 4, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Jesus is able to empathize with our weakness. He doesn't judge us. God doesn't get angry with us because we've got weakness. God isn't disappointed with us because we've got weakness. No, the scripture tells us Jesus is able to empathize with our weaknesses. And it goes on to say, So then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So what are we doing in our time of need? Are we getting all cross? Are we getting all um, upset with what what we're doing? Or are we looking to God, listening to God, knowing that he is waiting with open arms for us, even in our worst and our baddest of times? (laughs) So the Gospels tell us the story of Jesus undergoing water baptism. Uh, Right at the beginning of his ministry, before he actually began to have the crowds and and big healings and uh, teaching and so forth, he was first of all baptized. And two important things happened at that time. The first thing was that the Holy Spirit came down in bodily form as a dove. And when that happened, God spoke to Jesus and said, You are my son. That I love. In you I am well pleased. So Jesus had a confirmation. Whatever he was doing to prepare for ministry had that confirmation. God was with him, he was God's son, God was pleased with him. The second thing that happened was that John the Baptist had been told by God when he saw the Spirit descend upon someone, that person was the Messiah, the Christ, the one he had been waiting for. So two important things happened there at Jesus' baptism. But then the scripture tells us that the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness for 40 days. For 40 days he went out into the wilderness, he fasted, he was uh, presumably wanting to be alone with God. But in that time, the devil was there and the devil tempted him so let's have a look at Jesus temptation Jesus full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan where he had been baptized and was led by the spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil he ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry the devil said to him if you are the son of God Tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So for 40 days, Jesus is out there in the desert, doesn't eat anything. He's wanting to be alone with God, but instead the devil is there. And the devil comes and he tempts him. I have read these scriptures before and thought, yeah, but Jesus was the Son of God, right? You know, it was easy for him to overcome temptation. But these temptations were real. At the end of 40 days, Jesus was hungry. He was hungry. And the experience that he'd had at baptism, where God spoke to him and said, You are my son, is the refrain that the devil picks up. He says, If if you're the son of God, prove it. Prove it. You're hungry. Make yourself something to eat out of these rocks. But Jesus didn't call on the Holy Spirit for a miracle. Instead, he listened to God. He listened to God, and this is what he heard God say. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word That comes from the mouth of God. In other words, Jesus tells the devil, I may be hungry, but I will still listen to God. I know God will feed me more than food. God will feed me from his word. That is his will. That is what I want. So Jesus cooperates with God in that moment of pressure. He exercises self-control to listen and respond to God. And he hears that scripture. You know, Jesus lived his life according to this principle, this principle that the word of God is life to us. While sitting at a well, waiting for his disciples to come back with food, a ministry opportunity comes along in the form of a woman with a water jar. When the disciples get back, the woman runs off to the town to bring back more people to hear Jesus. And the disciples say, eat something. But Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. In fact, Jesus was really excited in his spirit. He says, don't we have a saying, it's still four months to the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look, the fields are ripe for harvest so being in the thick of ministry and harvesting that crop of eternal life was spiritual food for Jesus it's spiritual food for us as well anything of lasting value in our lives comes directly from God, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father it's not that physical food is unimportant, Jesus taught us to pray um The Lord's Prayer, Um, this day, give us our daily bread. So Jesus taught us to pray for what we need. But he also taught us that God knows our needs before we ask. He gave the example of wild birds. He said, look, the wild birds are fed by God, but you are worth much more than birds. So, the first principle we can take away here is that whatever else is going on in our life, God's will, his pleasing, his perfect, his good will, needs to come first. We need to know the written word of God so that we can recognize the voice of God as we listen to him. But we need to settle it in our heart. Will I put the will of God of priority and importance in my life? Of course, the devil doesn't give up on his first try. The devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. <laughs> Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This was a real temptation. This also is a real temptation. Jesus, at this point in his life, knew that he was going to be sacrificed and die. We know that because he starts when he starts teaching, he mentions it. In the three years that were to come, he would have to teach disciples that were very slow learners. He battled again and again with the religious leaders and their insistence on uh, human laws. He uh, was opposed by corrupt rulers. And of course, he went through uh, suffering and death on a cross. If he accepted this temptation, it would be a bloodless coup over the world. Bloodless, without suffering, without dying. All of the world's kingdoms, is what the devil said, would be his. No more um, of this battling this, this opposition, this hard work ministry before Jesus died on the cross. Instead, the whole world is an instant kingdom of Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus knew his father. He desired his father's will. And so when he listens to God, He hears the words from the scripture, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You know, not many of us would think that we would be susceptible to worshipping the devil. That's exactly what Jesus said to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He said, if God were your father, you would love me for I have come here from God. I've not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. So anyone you know has had an argument with the church over such and such a teaching and now seems to have walked away from God? They placed their understandings and what they wanted above what Jesus teaches. A common one is loving one another. Jesus said, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But the reality is that people don't always love perfectly, do they? Or people have an unrealistic expectation of what that love should look like. So on that premise that the church isn't good enough, or they've been hurt by that, people do walk away from God. So a second principle here is if we worship God and serve him only, we will be focused on the one that we worship, not on what we think should happen, what we think we want, what we think will bring us happiness or fulfilment, but focus on the one we worship, prepared to put aside our understandings in order to focus on God and the people he puts in our lives to serve. Well, the devil had another strategy to try out. Mm -hmm. If God, uh, if Jesus... Uh, wouldn't disobey God's will for his life. Perhaps he could just expedite the plans a little. The devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he quotes scripture to Jesus. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Just a little miracle, yeah? A little miracle. People will believe you. They will know that you're the Christ. You'll be set up for your ministry. But Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus is in control of himself. He listens to the Lord and he hears another scripture. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. He doesn't just love God with his emotions. When Jesus heard the will of God, he was always going to fulfill the word. Unlike the devil, he wasn't interested in doing life his way. He wanted to do life God's way. The Apostle John continually quotes Jesus saying things like this, I tell you the truth, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. He trusts God so completely that he won't write the script of his life for himself. He won't demand a miracle from God to prove who God is or to prove that he's the Christ. He will live and teach and minister the way God shows him. The desire for God to prove himself by doing a miracle often comes to us when we're facing real disappointment. I um, I read a list recently in a book by Christine Kane, a book called Undaunted. I just had to read that book before we had the conference, and it's great, by the way. It talks about all of the obstacles and problems that uh, Christine's faced through her life that would have stopped her in ministry, would have daunted her. Instead, there's this calling upon our lives to be undaunted. So she wrote this uh, in, in the chapter about disappointments. We all land in heartbreaking places at some point in life, feeling sad, alone, and perhaps drained of our courage to hope again. The reasons can be a miscarriage, like I had, Or something else entirely, like when your children grow up, move away and never call. The company to which you've devoted your years downsizes and you get a pink slip, right along with the newcomer and the slacker. The man you love doesn't love you back, and the marriage you thought would last forever doesn't. The child you carried and couldn't wait to hold is born with unexpected challenges, which is most of them, by the way. You are diagnosed with a disease or or someone that you love suffers an injury for which there is no relief or cure. It seems the one you've prayed would find Jesus never will. Colleagues betray you. Investments dwindle. Friends disappear. Dreams shatter. Best laid plans go astray. Other Christians fail you. People disappoint you. You disappoint yourself. Any one of these letdowns can leave us devastated, in shock, sad, discouraged and dismayed. Any one of these things can leave us withdrawing from life, retreating from the plans and purposes of God. As we all know, that was a big list, but there are lots of other things that leave us feeling disappointed with life, disappointed with God. And it's at those times of desperation that we're most likely to call out, God, I need a miracle here. I need a miracle cure. I need you to uh, fix up my finances. I need you to get my job back. I really need my son that I love. He's going down such a bad path. He needs to meet with you, God. Meet with him in a miraculous way. And by all means, pray for a miracle. Pray for a miracle. God's in the business of doing miracles. But we pray for a miracle not to prove that God is there, not to get God to prove that he cares about us, that he loves us. We pray for our miracle trusting God to be God, trusting him to be God. You know, we sang in a song this morning, I trust in you. I trust in you. I trust in you with all my heart. This is one of the decisions we have to make now at times like this when we're not in desperation or we're not in the middle of temptation. It's something that we decide with our heart and put into uh, our mind and put into our heart that we will trust God so that we don't put him to the test. What happens in those moments, in those moments of trial? and temptation we come up with something to say well if God does this I'll follow him what do you do if God doesn't do it your way who do you trust and who do you follow then so the third principle is this that we hold on to the truths and the promises we know expecting God to be faithful to his word rather than putting God to the test You see that the quality of self-control we're looking for is those decisions that we've made in our head and our heart to trust God's will, to put God first as the one we worship and serve and to hold on to the truths and promises expecting that God will be faithful. And we don't do any of this on our own. This is how the temptation ends. Temptation account. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left Jesus until an opportune time. Until an opportune time. This was not the last time that Jesus was tempted. But right now, Jesus was victorious. He had won this battle. The devil would come back at another opportune time. But when Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit... News about him spread through the whole countryside. So Jesus, through that 40 days, had partnered with God. He had withstood temptation, real temptation, because he put God first. He listened to God. He trusted God. And in so doing, God came in the fullness, more power of the Spirit so that Jesus was victorious. We too will be victorious in our battles as we partner with God. We do our part. Our part, this self-control, is to be listening to God in that moment instead of listening to the voice of the temptation or the people that are around us that want to lead us astray. Listening to God's voice. And God will come with his spirit, with his grace, with his power for us. So when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, he was filled with the Spirit from his baptism. But when Jesus returned to Galilee, he came in the power of the Spirit to minister God's love. His time of temptation had made him stronger, stronger. Because he partnered with God while he was under pressure. Jesus exercised self-control in staying faithful and dependent upon God. And God poured out his spirit of grace and power so that Jesus was victorious. Let's pray.